Good afternoon, everyone. Tuesday, we talked about what we think will be our end game when um, we have the vaccine and then enough of us have taken it so we get the community immunity. Um, and the best guess is that's sometime next summer. No one knows exactly, but uh, that's the best guess of the experts. Uh, and that day will come. But today I want to talk uh, and examine exactly where we are uh, as of today in regard to this virus, what the essential facts are. Uh, then I would like to briefly talk about uh, what I believe that we have learned in the last seven and a half months. So today, October 15th, these are the essential facts. Yesterday, we reported 2,039 cases, uh, our record. Today, we are reporting 2,178 cases, another record. Uh, this is in stark contrast to not too long ago, September 20th, barely a month ago, we had 762 cases. And for some time, we were hovering around 1,000 um, cases. So we've gone up dramatically uh, in a relatively short period of time. Number two, in addition to the increased cases, we're seeing more people get sick enough to be hospitalized. Hospitalization, of course, is, is a lagging indicator. And as more, we see more cases, we assume we're going to see more hospitalizations. But already, we're seeing a, a significant change. On September 20th, we had 563 COVID patients in Ohio hospitals. Yesterday, we had 1,042 patients, COVID patients, in Ohio hospitals. So it's basically doubled in a short period of time. Number three. Today, we add 13 new red counties, giving us a total of 29 red counties. Uh, that represents 65% of the population of the state of Ohio. 65% of us, basically two-thirds of us, are now living in red counties. Number four, in addition to our 29 red counties, we also now have 52 counties that are high-incidence counties as of today. And again, want to define what that means. This means the county has more than 100 cases per 100,000 residents during the past two weeks. Uh, this number is the distinction that the CDC makes between a county with a moderately high level of spread and a high level of spread. So 52 counties, high level of spread. Uh, we certainly know that a high level of cases in the community means a higher risk of catching the disease for, for everyone. Number five, um, let's, let's, before we get to that, let's go directly, Eric, to the numbers, and we'll start with the day's the summary. Uh, again, as we said, 2,178 cases. Our 21-day average is still there, but it certainly is moving up as these numbers continue to go up. Uh, reported deaths today, five. Uh, hospitalizations, 108, a little bit over the 21-day average. ICU admissions uh, uh, jumped rather uh, dramatically with 43. Uh, let's look at the next slide, Eric. 
This is our advisory last week. This is what the state looks like this week. Let's go to the next slider. So this is what we're looking at uh, today. And, and again, um, the H simply means high incidence. So we're seeing a good part of the state uh, in red. Uh, we're seeing very little of the state now, seven counties that are in yellow. Let's take a look at the next slide here. Uh, and this is just putting the high incidence counties together with the red counties. Those are the ones that, that have color to them. Uh, and again, it shows that most of us, uh, you know, live in a high incident county or, and or a red, a red county. Let's take a look at the next one here. This is, shows the change. Uh, and we've taken each week going back to July 2nd and shown how many counties were in the yellow, what percentage uh, were in, in the orange, what percentage in red. And so if you flip over to here, you see yellow is very, very small. Uh, we've, got, we've got some, some of the orange, uh, and then red is, is the biggest, uh, pretty much that we have seen it. Uh, it was fairly high back on, looks like July 16th. Uh, it was fairly high there, there as well. Let's take a look at the next slide, Eric. Uh, this is all 88 counties ranked by the highest uh, occurrence. Um, again, we're seeing a number of counties, well over half the counties that are high, high incidence. So if you take down, you go down the first 52 counties are above that 100, 100 or above. And if you look down below that, you'll see if you look at the next 10 counties, they're, they're creeping up on those numbers too. Let's go to the next one, Eric. This is again from the top to, to the bottom, um, not all 88 counties. We've got, I think, 20 counties here. Uh, and you can see these are all, you know, at least two, sometimes three uh, times as much of the high incidence. I want to talk briefly about uh, why the high incident number is important uh, in conjunction with our high, with our public health alert system. Uh, the two figures, the alert system, the color code, uh, the color maps, uh, as well as the list of high incidence counties really work together. Um, it's like looking at the weather report for the day. You can't make your decisions by looking at only the temperature or the chance of rain. Everything all kind of works together. When looking at the spread of COVID, one of the most important factors is how many cases there are in a population. And you look at that for the last two weeks. So it's not historical, not something happened three, three months ago. It's what's happened in the last two weeks. And so we can think of this like the temperature for the day. Uh, it's your, your most important number for knowing what you need to wear if you're going outside. So it tells you, you know, how much spread you have in your county. Uh, again, likening it to weather, the temperature tells you a lot about the weather in a day, but it doesn't tell you uh, if it'll be windy, rainy, snowy, humid in the future. Uh, so we should think of the advisory system, that map system, uh, as the rest of these factors all put together. And some of them, frankly, are, are early warning signs. Uh, the advisory system, your county's particular color, uh, combines several other measures, like the number of people going 
to the doctors for COVID or the number of patients in your hospitals uh, with COVID. Uh, cases per capita are incredibly important for understanding how much spread and potential spread there is in the community. And the advisory system is another layer of information. Uh, it's like looking at the temperature and then also getting an alert for strong winds in the area. But here's the difference. Uh, the difference is we can't generally change the weather. Uh, we can't change the weather, but we can change the outcome. Uh, and so these are reflection of what we see today, but also a reflection of early warning signs. But we can change the ultimate outcome uh, down the road by what we do, what we do today. Uh, let me also talk about a couple other numbers. Our positivity number today is 5.4, and our seven-day moving average is 4.2. Uh, during the third week in September, our positivity number was 2.7. Uh, this simply means that the percentage of our tests coming back positive has more than doubled. Uh, this is very important. Uh, as we see uh, tests go up, we would expect to see some more cases. Uh, but what we really then have to look at is positivity. And what we should be seeing is a decrease in positivity as the testing goes dramatically up. Uh, instead of that, we're seeing uh, not a decrease in positivity, we're seeing a very, very significant uh, increase. So in summary, uh, in this point, we have 70 counties, 70 of our 80 counties that are either red or high incidence. That's 10 million Ohioans or 85% of the population live in an area with a high risk of community uh, transmission. I want to review, uh, because we've not done this for some time and because so many Ohioans are now living in a red county, I want to review go through and look at the indicators. Indicator one is called new cases per capita. The indicator is flagged if there are greater than 50 cases per 100,000 residents over the last two weeks. Uh, this allows for counties with different population sizes to be appropriately compared. This is what we've been saying. Uh, it is our temperature and the weather report. It's very important, but it's not the whole picture. Uh, indicator two is sustained increase in new cases. And this is an indicator. Uh, this is an early warning sign. This is flagged if there is an increasing trend at, for at least five consecutive straight days in overall cases by onset date over the last three weeks. This reflects disease spread in the population. Indicator three is proportion of cases not in congregate setting. Again, what this is trying to simply determine uh, is if more than half your cases are not in a congregate setting, that tells us there is spread clearly out in the community. Indicator four is sustained increase in emergency department ED visits for COVID-like illness. This is flagged if there is an increasing trend of at least five consecutive days in either the number of visits to the emergency department with COVID-like illness or a diagnosis over the last, and this is all over the last three weeks. It provides information on the healthcare seeking behavior of the population and a sense of how concerned residents are about their current health status and the virus. Uh, indicator five, sustained increase in outpatient visits for COVID-like illness. This is flagged where there is an increasing trend of at least five consecutive days in the number of people going to a healthcare provider with COVID symptoms who then receive a COVID-confirmed diagnosis or a suspected diagnosis, and again, over the last three weeks. 
So this indicator requires some kind of diagnosis from a doctor rather than just a patient reporting COVID-like symptoms. In addition to providing information on how concerned residents are about COVID, it also gives us an early indicator of healthcare use for COVID. Indicator six is sustained increase in new COVID hospital admissions. Uh, this is flagged when there is an increasing trend of at least five consecutive days in the number of new hospitalizations due to COVID. And this again is over the last three weeks. This informs us of the burden on the hospital system and disease severity and is a sign that the storm clouds are gathering. Uh, in fact, that it's, it's coming. Um, we could be in for a very, very heavy, heavy storm. Uh, as you recall, uh, this indicator uh, has to do with uh, your, uh, because people end up many times in regional hospitals. Um, that is that is indicated. Indicator six, intensive care unit bed occupancy. It's flagged if both the percentage of the occupied ICU beds in each region goes above 80% for at least three days in the last week, and more than 20% of ICU beds are being used for COVID-19 positive patients uh, for at least three days in the last week. Um, there are four of these indicators that are typically present for our red counties so far. Uh, this is what our uh, weather forecast looks like. Two indicators are present in all of these 29 counties. Indicator one, which is new cases per capita, and indicator three, proportion of cases not in a congregate setting. Indicator two, sustained increase in new cases is flagged in 22 of our 29 counties. And indicator five, sustained increase in outpatient visits is present in 23 of the 29 counties. Both of these mean we're seeing the weather start to turn in these counties. Um, as again, a, an early, early indicator. Um, indicator four, sustained increase in emergency visits is flagged by 10 red counties. And indicator six, sustained increase in hospital admissions is flagged uh, by just three of the red counties. Um, again, unlike the weather, we have the ability to, to control this, but this is where we are, are today. Um, we have, as I said, 13 new red counties today, new red counties. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what we are seeing in the data and what we're hearing from the health commissioners in regard to those counties. Uh, almost to a person, our local health department officials have told us we, this week that our schools are doing a very good job. But what they are seeing is spread, sometimes connected with the schools, in social gatherings, but not officially connected with the students. Uh, could be social gatherings among students, among parents or others. Uh, examples include bonfires, birthday parties, weddings, funerals. Uh, we know that several red counties still have several formal events planned like pub crawls, political events, art fairs, car shows. Uh, now is really the time uh, to rethink whether these are in the best interest of the community. Our health commissioners tell us they're seeing less and less mask compliance uh, when people are out and that people are not wearing masks when they're with friends and family. Um, as one health commissioner said, people are complacent in places where they're comfortable, and that's human nature. Uh, and we've talked about this before, but what we're seeing many times is people who are with friends, with family, letting their guard down, not wearing a mask, not keeping the, the social distance. 
um, if you're in a red county, um, if you're in a county with high incidence, um, the virus is spreading throughout your county quickly, and everyone is at risk, really, of catching it. Let's look at some examples. In Cuyahoga County, they have seen a significant increase in daily outpatient visits. In just 10, 10 days, outpatient visits, they were averaging 187 cases per day. Outpatient visits, uh, now, 100, now 445. So from 187 to 445 within a period of 10 days. Uh, down in Lawrence County, the southern tip of Ohio, a high school was closed for two weeks after a non-school associated, non-school host, excuse me, non-school associated homecoming event led to at least seven children getting sick and 25% of the school being quarantined. The cases are now expanding, unfortunately, to other family members. Fayette County, a school and a daycare were closed after staff uh, went to work sick. Our friends in Fayette County have had two members of their community die uh, tragically during the past eight days. In Mahoning County, an elderly woman died after attending a relative's wedding. There were 10 cases associated with the wedding. Muskingum County, they're still seeing one or two new cases each week from their outbreak at their social clubs, and this started around September 18th. And so these are just examples of some of the stories that, that we are seeing, some of the things that we're um, what we're continue to learn. Um, the message, you know, is, is the same. Stay home when you're sick. Uh, keep your distance. Uh, wear a mask. Wash your hands. Uh, let's turn to a, a couple of health care providers and experts and ask them about what they're seeing. I read an article uh, in Cleveland.com. Headlines, Ohio's record number of coronavirus cases may be a start of a full surge, health experts say. Uh, two doctors from Metro Health in Cleveland talk about the increase in cases and what they are seeing. Uh, those doctors are with us today. Uh, first, I would like to start with Dr. Nick Dreher, uh, Medical Director of the Population Health Innovation Institute at Metro Health system. Doctor, thank you very, very much uh, for joining us today. And I wonder if you could uh, kind of tell us what, you know, you're seeing, uh, what you read from these increase in COVID cases in Ohio and, and some of the, you know, the data that we just, just went through. Uh, we're not getting the doctor, at least I'm not. We think, Eric. Should we? Okay. Let me. Um, let, we'll hold up uh, there. Um, let me go to uh, Dr. David Margolius, is the division director of internal medicine at Metro Health System. Um, doctor, uh, I know you're seeing a lot of patients, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're seeing as far as your patients and maybe what they have kind of collectively told you and what you've discerned, uh, obviously not telling us what any one patient told you, but what have you kind of learned uh, in your in your job uh, in, in dealing with COVID patients? 
Sure. Well, thanks, Governor DeWine. I really getting your message this morning uh, meant a lot to to all of us at Metro Health um, who have been caring for people with COVID and people who are worried about uh, getting COVID for the last six months. So I really appreciate that. So I'm the director of the COVID hotline here. And um, just like the rest of the state, um, we've seen sort of waves of, of, of increasing concern um, come and go. And we've had a couple good months where, where we were averaging about 50 calls a day uh, that resulted in doctor visits on the phone. Um, but for the last couple of weeks, those those calls have doubled. And um, the folks that I speak to who test positive, it's a pretty similar theme. It's it's they've spent time with friends, family, indoors without masks. And so it's a pretty common theme. I think it's human nature, just like you said, to to want to spend time with people. And and I, my message today is it is OK to spend time with people. But it, it doesn't have to be a binary decision. It doesn't have to be yes or no. If you do spend time with people, which you should, wear a mask, try and be outside, try and be six feet apart. And if you do those things, it, chances are that it would be really, really unlikely to get COVID-19 if you're wearing a mask, you're keeping your distance, and, and you spend as much time as possible with others outside. Doctor, how, how, many, how many, first of all, thank you for what you do. Uh, thank you know everyone metro uh who's dealing with covid patients and this has been a long seven and a half months i know uh so we're very very grateful for what you all do um how many patients do you think you may have talked to uh during this epidemic as far as you know people who had covid you know roughly uh yeah roughly i would say um a couple people a day uh, for uh, probably over 200 people who've, who've had it, who've been diagnosed. In yesterday's cleveland.com, uh, they quote you as saying, I think more and more people are getting together. Some of this is happening because there's this urge, this human nature to get back to normal life. I think that's part of uh, what has been driving these surges. Um, and then you say, Later on, your quote is saying, we just need these constant reminders uh, that it's still very much out there. It's not, not going away. Um, and so I guess you're, you're really talking about human nature. We all want to be together with family. We all want to be together with friends. That's right. Um, and and I, it sounds like your message is you can still do a lot of this, but you just got to be really careful. Is that, is that, is that kind of your bottom line? Yeah, that's the message. I think, you know, it's a harm reduction mentality. It's, it's, if you're going to spend time with people, spend time safely. Um, you know, look, look at coach Kevin Stefanski of the Browns, you know, when he wears that mask, it's, it's, it's there, he's, he's doing it. And I think many other examples exist where you really can be around other people and you can do it safely. And I think what I worry about is it's like folks who break their diet. You know, if you break your diet and have um, one cheeseburger or one candy bar, you know, it's probably going to be okay. But if you break your diet and it's like, you know, cheeseburger every day, that's really going to hurt you. And so it's the same thing with, with COVID-19. I mean, you can really be around other people, but do it safely. So avoid big crowds. If you do spend time inside with others, just everybody should wear a mask and, and hopefully we'll become more and more comfortable with reminding each other of that. You know, I think at the beginning it was a, uncomfortable conversation to say to someone, hey, you know, your mask is, you know, not quite covering your nose, you know, get that up. But I think if we 
really share this mentality that we're all in this together. We're doing this for our kids so our kids can be in school and, and our grandparents can stay safe, you know, and our relatives can stay safe. And so we're all in this together. The masks have gotten a lot more comfortable over the last seven months. You know, there are a lot more colors and, and such to choose from. And I, I really think we can do this. But what we've seen is this roller coaster of, all right, haven't, you know, heard anyone in a while, uh, anyone I know getting COVID-19. So maybe it's kind of gone. Maybe I can go back to doing what I was doing before or doing the things that I did last year at this time. But it's still here. We're not uh, an island like New Zealand where we can stop new cases from coming in. And so we do have to adjust to this new normal, and that means spending time with each other safely. That's great. I, I read an article last night, um, and I, I want to read you a quote um, because I, I thought this summarized it, at least from what I've been able to learn uh, fairly well, uh, kind of what we have learned uh, over the last seven and a half months. Um, and, and here's the quote, COVID-19 is airborne, overdispersed, and often uh, asymptomatic. That means it spreads mostly through tiny spray droplets commonly produced by people talking loudly in crowded, unventilated spaces over long periods, leading to super spreading clusters where one sick person infects many healthy people that account for a large share of total infections. Infected people without symptoms might also be super spreaders. I don't know if you... Is that a fair summary, do you think, or do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I think that, that covers it. I mean, I, you know, I, I, on behalf of the, the, the medical community, I'm sorry that we didn't know more about universal masking in March. You know, we didn't know. It's not something that, that we learned in our training. It's not, um, we, we, I wish we had remembered more from the 1918 influenza pandemic, but it wasn't something we learned about. And we know so much more now, you know, in, in, in October, we know about masks working. It, it doesn't mean that everybody has to wear an N95 mask. I mean, all it takes is this cloth mask to prevent that type of spread that you're describing. Well, doctor, again, thanks to you and everybody at Metro for all you do. And thanks for, uh, being at our press conference today. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll go back now. Um, let me go go to Dr. Dreher, um, again, Medical Director of Population Health Innovation Institute at Metro Health System. Uh, doctor, we, we hope we can hear you now. Can you hear me now? We can, we can hear you now, yes. <laughs> We can. We can indeed. Uh, you know, we're seeing a, this increase in COVID cases in Ohio. I don't know whether I went through the data. You're very familiar with the data. Um, what's your take on this? And, and, you know, from kind of the big picture, what should, what should Ohioans take away from this data? I think they should, by the way, uh, yeah, we, we watch it all the time uh, in, a, in a different view of the elephant than your team watches it, Governor, but same messaging. And first message is, Ohio knows how to do this. It's been amazing when we have watched this since March and been scared since March and saw it. But I mean, there was times that, that other states similar to us were 10 times the infection rates than we were. We know how to do this. And it's the basic stuff. It's it's staying masked, it's staying social distance, it's washing your hands, it's disinfecting everything. That hasn't changed. I mean, like David said, we, 
we kind of had a little misunderstanding in March and then the mask thing got clear and now that's clearly a big deal. We actually look at the, the data a little different than you because the strength point to us is the hospitalization rate. Yes, the case rate is kind of a lead indicator, but the true rate is hospitalization because we admit people the same way in April as we do now. So it's a pretty consistent number. If the hospitalization rate is going up, the disease burden from COVID in Ohio is going up. So in very short order, Ohioans know how to do this. They can do it again. We want to encourage you to do it again. Uh, all of us do it again. I, we are all in this together. But the other thing I want the message is when the beds start disappearing from COVID, they disappear for every disease and it makes everybody unsafe. Even if you happen to have COVID and even if you had immunity, if all this happens, you don't have a bed for your heart attack, for your stroke, for your pneumonia. So it is it is a universal thing. So I just want to emphasize that. And, and I people, Ohio has done it. We know how to do it. We need to do it again. Well, thank you very much for the message. And, and, and doctor, again, thank you for all that you, you have been doing, uh, everybody at, at Metro. Um, I, I want to be clear because I mean, we're going to get some questions in a minute. Uh, we're not saying that hospitals are overflowing at this point. No, um, we are right. We're absolutely not. Plan. No, we are. We are we're, all in good shape, and we have business. plan A, B, and C. You know, at, you know, from the leadership of the government, from the leadership of other healthcare institutions, and we are all working together. We're fine this moment, but we are paid to be paranoid as doctors. <laughs> And we are right. worried about plan A, B, and C. So, but we are good right this moment, but, but we want to stay good by people doing the thoughtful thing. Okay. Very, very good. Well, anything else you'd like to share with us? We just appreciate uh, your, your time very, very much and appreciate. What, yeah. The one what last thing that we want to say though, is, um, you know, herd immunity is sort of a, a good thing, but herd immunity really is more defined by, and our standards is, mostly from vaccines. In other words, when there's a herd immunity, you know, part of it is from people getting a disease and then they're immune, but the bigger part of it is the vaccine. You don't want to do herd immunity by, by exposing people to the disease alone. That, that just increases the number of deaths. So we are strongly supportive of vaccine-driven herd immunity and that we don't have that yet, you know? So I know it's a confusing message to different people, but we just know from the medical community I want you to know herd immunity really is we want it to be a vaccine driven herd immunity, not a disease exposure one. So we just want that message out there, too. Well, and look, none of us know, at least I don't know, um, you know, when that's coming. But we're we're hopeful and uh, we're hopeful when we get into next year. At some point, we are you know, able to first take care of the most vulnerable and first responders. And then as more comes out, uh, you know achieve whatever level we need to achieve uh, in, in society. So at that point, you and I'll be talking, I hope, about, uh, you know, encouraging people to get to get their shots and yes. get immunization. So that'll be Absolutely. a happy, uh, that'll be a much happier uh, uh, time. So, Doctor, thank you again very, very much. Appreciate it. Let me just, um, let, me, let me at this point, let me go... Um, let me go to uh, Lieutenant Governor. I know John has some things. John? Uh... Hi, Governor. Uh, yes, because everybody knows what today is. Today is the last day to fill out the census. 
Uh, our, our time has drawing to a close for the 2020 census. We need to get you counted. Today's the last day to do it. Uh, it determines how $675 billion in federal funds uh, are spent and, and what portion of that comes back to Ohio. Uh, this is for schools, hospitals, public roads, uh, and public safety and bridges, uh, things like that. And uh, it also could determine our political voice in Washington, whether we lose a congressional seat or not. So all very important. If you want to fill out your census form uh, and be counted, just like we're going to be counted in our vote, we want to be counted in the census, uh, 2020census.gov, 2020census.gov, or 844-330-2020 uh, for more information. And I'll just close with this humorous thought that statistically speaking, you don't exist unless you fill out the census. So <laughs> I hope I hope everybody will do that um, and uh, help Ohio have a, a bigger presence uh, in this country by your presence in the census. Uh, and then um, I know that COVID sometimes makes us feel like there are all kinds of problems out there and, and I know it can, can wear on us. And we do like to highlight the people who are going above and beyond the call and really making things better for all of us. And one of the groups of people that do that are child care centers. We know that in when the virus came, that there was a lot of questions about how to do it safely. Many child care centers stepped up and did a wonderful job to help moms and dads go back to work, especially those essential workers. Uh, and and to give them the peace of mind that not only were their children going to be safe, but they were actually going to learn and grow and develop in that setting. And we want to highlight uh, one particular uh, child care center, the Children's Discovery Center in Lucas County, um, who really stepped up during this time frame to, to keep their, si their class sizes low by, by uh, hiring new people and, and putting every single protocol in place that others learned from. Uh, to uh, keep the environment there safe. Uh, when many schools were closing and going to remote learning, the Children's, Discover Children's Discovery set up a virtual learning space for kids to come while their parents worked. And they also assigned teachers to help students with their schoolwork. Again, one example of many who went above and beyond to make sure that childcare worked, that children were being served, that moms and dads could go to work and, and just, this is a little part of how we all chip in, do a little bit extra uh, to, to help us all get through this. And we thank Children's Discovery Center and all those child care centers out there who are doing that. Uh, and then I'll close with this thought. We talked about mom and dad going back to work. We know that, that uh, there's still a high unemployment rate in Ohio, but I want to reassure folks there are opportunities out there. Uh, on Ohio Means Jobs alone, there are 158,000. 316 jobs available, 78,100 of them uh, pay $50,000 a year or more. There are also, I know that a lot of, a lot of students uh, may be having their college uh, careers disruptive. Well, there's still a lot of internships out there, 2,800 internships that are available right there on Ohio Means Jobs. Now, you may say, Hey, my, I know that, but I worked in the hospitality industry. There aren't any jobs in the hospitality industry, or at least not as many as there used to be uh, for me. Well, 
we have solutions to help retrain you for other opportunities. If you go to our individual micro-credential training program, IMAP, the IMAP website, you can find training opportunities that, that courtesy of the taxpayers of Ohio, uh, we can help pay for your retraining. And you go to imap.development.ohio.gov uh, and look through all of the retraining opportunities that are out there. We can do them in a short period of time, do them before your unemployment runs out, get you retrained for one of these jobs that pay at least $50,000 a year or more. Uh, we're all in this together. And these are just some, some examples of how we can do that and how we can move forward. Back to you, Governor. Thank you very much. We'll go to questions. Governor, first question today is from Spencer Hickey at Hanna News Service. Thank you. Governor, on last Thursday, you announced a new order on uh, nursing home indoor visitation. And I was just wondering if you could go over the details of that, given that it was kind of mentioned towards the end and don't think it had been discussed too much. I know some facilities have opted not to open for indoor visits yet. Yeah, uh, I will. I will do the best I can. Um, but for a more accurate uh, rendition, uh, people should look at our webpage where we we specifically outline it. Um, the goal has been to try to safely have people in nursing homes have visitors, and, and it's been one of the most heartbreaking things, frankly, that's occurred. We closed the nursing homes to visitors uh, early, early on uh, when the virus is coming in. Uh, we did that to save lives, uh, but we also know there's been a lot of agony because of that when people can't see their family. Uh, so we went to um, outdoor visitation when the weather was better, and, and we did that. Uh, we're moving from there now to, to indoor visitation, uh, and a lot of it is within the discretion of the nursing home. They have to be able to have the people that are necessary to do this, but we encourage all the nursing homes to, you know, make make a provision for this to be done, so that people can visit their family members. Uh, it's it, you know, it's very, very, very important. And I'll, I'll, um, we'll get you. The, I'll get you the next time, and I'll just read the specific uh, details. But it was worked out along with the nursing homes, um, and the whole whole idea is to open it up but do it in a, in a in a safe way and that's our constant constant challenge as we as we do these things next question is from andy chow at ohio public radio and television andy hi governor um i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about testing it seemed like last week the state was averaging about forty thousand tests a day but it seems to have dropped off in numbers as far as we can tell from the dashboard is there an effort by the state to try to ramp up testing again to encourage people to to get testing as a more of a preventive measure? Yeah, you know, we now uh, are in the process of dispersing uh, 228,000, uh, I think was the figure uh, of the new test from the White House, these are the strip tests. And we've kind of outlined how those are going to be utilized. They're going to be used to, to some extent. Our nursing homes, uh, we're going to try to, uh, you know, we're going to use them. Uh, some of our colleges are going to use them as well to ramp up their testing 
uh, capacity. We're also going to use those tests um, in other areas where if we see a surge, we see a problem uh, develop, we'll be able to move in with those tests. So you're going to see these numbers go up just because of those alone. We've also got other things that are going on uh, where we're going to continue to see the, the testing go up. So um, I, I think I don't know the exact average, uh, Andy, for the last seven days, but uh, or the last 10 days, but uh, you know, we're significantly higher than we were. We've sort of hit a plateau. Now we got to kick it, kick this thing up again, uh, and continue the, the the testing. So we're gonna we are focused on more and more and more testing. Faster we can get it out, and we can get it out in in in, a, in the correct way. Uh, we're going to use that. I mean, it's going to, for example, in the nursing homes, it, it's going to significantly increase the, the how often, um, for example, we are testing employees. Uh, it's going to increase uh, and allow Ohio to comply with what the, what the guidelines are from the federal government is if you get a case, what you have to do. And the federal government provides for very intensive testing after that until you clear out and there's no cases left. And we're fine with that. We're going to deploy a, a lot of these tests to do that. So you're going to see the numbers go up. Next question is from Jeff Reddick at WSYX in Columbus. Good afternoon, Governor. Uh, preface this by acknowledging what you had said uh, last week, that the uh, future of the state's economy will depend on people's confidence to go out or not. Uh, but uh, on last Thursday, uh, you had said, we're not going to shut down this economy again. We are not. Then on Tuesday, you were asked about could there be any more lockdown measures this winter? And you said, yeah, there could be. Um, will you commit to not authoring any other state-ordered shutdowns or lockdown measures, or are you not making that commitment? No, thanks for the question. I'll try to clarify it. Um, we don't have any plans to do shutdowns, uh, but no governor can stand up here during a pandemic and, and you know say, under no circumstances will we shut something down. And that just, that would be irresponsible. We have no plans uh, to shut anything down. Uh, we believe, and as you heard from the, from the doctors, uh, that there is a safe way to do most of the things that we as Ohioans want to do. And we just ask people to do those. Uh, look, what you're seeing in today's numbers should get our attention. Uh, there's a red tide flowing all over the state of Ohio. And virtually everybody uh, in Ohio is now living in, in a high incident, uh, high rate of spread area. And that's something that we can do something about though. It is not inevitable. This spread of the virus in Ohio can be slowed down. Um, it can be reversed. Uh, it's totally within our hands to do it. We have the ability to do it. Distancing, wearing a mask. Um, when you're inside, you know, make sure that you're getting some air from the outside in. And these are wash your hands. And these are basic things. And as the doctor said a moment ago uh, from Metro, um, most things we can do. I mean, people are talking about Thanksgiving. 
if you're going to do it safely, you're probably not going to do it exactly like you've done it before, but you can still do something. You can still, you know, have friends, uh, but you're going to have to do it differently yeah, if we're going to be safe. And, and that's, you know, when we look at these numbers, um, this is the worst situation Ohio has been in. And more Ohioans are vulnerable today than ever before because of how far the spread has, has gone. And there are very few Ohioans who can say, wow, I live somewhere where there's no, you know, there's no COVID and there, and there is no spread. Um, and as, as was indicated, uh, doctor indicated, we've learned a lot. You know, we've learned a lot. The medical community has learned a lot in the last seven and a half months. We've always tried to tell people what we knew, what doctors were telling us, medical experts were telling us, but they have learned. And as they have learned, we have tried to continue to, you know, keep people informed. So we can live our lives safely. Schools can stay open. But it's pretty hard to keep schools open when you had massive spread of the COVID in your community. No matter how good those schools are, those teachers are, um, superintendent, principal, no matter how hard they're working to keep their kids safe, if it's out in the community, it's going to get in the school. Same way with nursing homes. You know, it comes from the community. Uh, and if we can lower that rate in the community, we lessen the chance that it gets into our nursing homes. So uh, it, it, it's, these are things that we can do. These are things that we can do. We got to be careful, um, but we can do them. Next question is from Ben Schwartz at WCPO in Cincinnati. Hi, Governor. A large, or yeah, a large number of Ohioans in the tri-state area and around Cincinnati have to travel to Indiana for work every day. Yesterday, the Ohio Department of Health put out an advisory asking Ohioans to self-quarantine after visiting states with a 15% COVID positivity rate or above. Indiana is one of those states. So what should Ohioans who have to travel to Indiana or other states like that regularly, what should yeah. they do in this situation? Yeah, Ben, even, even when we had uh, our more stringent order early on, uh, we certainly made exceptions for people who are commuting to work, people traveling back and forth. Um, now that we have a state that's on our border that has that high incidence, it mostly serves really as a warning uh, again. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the counties that border Indiana, they're also some of our highest uh, positivity counties and highest incident counties. Uh, but we just, we put this out uh, to tell people if you're going in any of these states, it's above 15% positivity, you should know that. And you should, you know, uh, uh, adjust your behavior accordingly. It just simply tells you if there is significant spread, very significant high spread in, in that particular state. So again, like our color code, uh, it is a warning. Uh, it is a caution. Um, that's really what it's for. Next question is from Jim Province at the Toledo Blade. Thanks again, Governor. Appreciate this. Um, it's been three months to the day since you held your special televised address to Ohioans to urge them to wear masks and to practice social distancing. Um, and that was after Ohio hit another infection record. 
And before you, and it also came before you issued a statewide mask order. What does it say about our progress that we've been, that we're back in this position again in October? Well, it means people are tired. They're sick of the, they're sick of the virus and they want to get on with their lives. And, and I get it. But uh, I, I think, you know, that the history that you just described is very instructive uh, because three months ago, I gave the speech. And then after that, uh, we started putting orders on in regard to mask wearing. Very controversial. A lot of people still upset about it. I understand that. But here's what we found. Uh, we found what we thought we would find. Uh, and that is when those orders went on, people started wearing their masks more. Uh, and initially, uh, Jim, when those were put on, those were mostly urban counties that were red. And those urban counties very quickly uh, went from a compliance, maybe an average of 50, 55% to maybe 85%. When that compliance rate went up, we started seeing cases then after that start to go back down. And so Ohioans have done this before. We have been here before. We know what works. Wearing a mask works, keeping a distance, uh, keeping some discipline, uh, washing your hands. All of these things work. And if we can do these again at a high level, uh, we'll, we'll knock this virus right back. Uh, but this virus is coming on really strong now, and it's coming on strong all throughout the state of Ohio. And so what we did before, we can do again. This is really the third big challenge. Our first challenge was, you know, Ohioans basically stay home, get control of this thing. We did that. Ohioans did that and did it phenomenally well. The second one was, three, was as you said, three months ago, and I gave the speech. Then we started putting, you know, mask orders on. And Ohioans rose to the challenge again and started wearing the mask at a much higher compliance. And because of that, we knocked it down again. Now we've got a really high rate and it's moving fast and we can do it again. Uh, we've been through this. And one of the reasons I, I, I like the ad that our two coaches did. Um, uh, Urban Meyer, Jim Trestle, uh, because that's the emphasis of, hey, we're tough. We're Ohioans. We can do this. We got to hang in there. And that's really where this game is. We can see the end. And we don't know exactly when it's going to be, but it's, 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 we certainly think it's going to be next year. And we certainly think we're going to have the, have the vaccine. We're going to be able to get the vaccine out to, to enough people so at some point then – the world gets back to where we want it to be. But our goal should be to have all of us who are alive right now make it and be there and be there at the end. And we can do that. And we can do it without destroying what we love. And in fact, the virus is the biggest threat to our schools. The virus is the biggest threat to our loved ones in nursing homes. The virus is the biggest threat to our economy. And when we recognize that, when we put on a mask and do, do what we have to do, um, we, this is our pathway to freedom. It's our pathway to keep the economy going. It's our pathway to keep our kids in school. It's a pathway to keep our kids in college. It's a pathway to do the things that we want to do. And if the virus continues to roar through Ohio, you know, we're not going to be able to do those things.
So I, I think it's this is the third big challenge we've faced. It's here. It's I've tried to describe it today and describe it in the last several sessions. The data clearly shows it, but we can overcome it. We can clearly overcome it because we've overcome it before. Next question is from Jesse Balmer at the Cincinnati Enquirer. Hello, Governor. Um, my question is, there's a group of lawmakers in the Senate introducing legislation to lift that 10 p.m. last call or early bar closures. Could you maybe respond to that or and give an update on your review of that issue? Yeah. Look, um, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Um, I fully understand. Um, I mean, no one fully understands unless they're in the business. But uh, I, I've talked to enough bar owners, people who own restaurants, to understand that this has had an adverse impact on them. And we're looking for ways, frankly, to help them financially. Uh, and we hope to be able to talk about something next week. Now, we're never going to be able to put them, make them whole. We're never going to be able to make up that money. Uh, but we need to help them, uh, and I intend to help them. And I want to talk with the legislature about the best way to, to help them because they are in a unique position. We've had a lot of small businesses that have been hurt, but they've, they've been hurt very specifically uh, because of our need for the public good to close the bars at 10 o'clock. Um, I've spent the last several days talking to a lot of people who would be directly impacted by that, and um, – this is going to be something that, you know, I just don't think that we're going to be able to do at this point. We get this virus down. Uh, we certainly will be able to, to do that. Uh, but we got to get it down and we got to get control of it. Um, but we're working. I've been working with the lieutenant governor and I, uh, and we want to take something to the legislature in the next several days uh, and work with them to come up with some financial help for those, those, those bars and those restaurants. So, uh, you know, this, these numbers, um, you know, candidly, I thought we would be able to lift that, this. But when you look at these numbers, these numbers are just horrible. Uh, and they're going the wrong way. And we, we just we can't do it at this point. Next question is from Max Philby at the Columbus Dispatch. Hey, Governor. The state of Ohio doesn't require healthcare providers to report specific vaccinations um, to the state. And I'm wondering if you think that's something the legislature should consider changing in preparation for a COVID vaccine and uh, why or why not? You know, I've not really looked at that um, and I'll get back to you on that. But I, I, you know, one of the things that, you know, we want to be able to know uh, is all kinds of data like that. And, and so you got to, Protect people's protect people's privacy, uh, but knowing numbers, uh, you know what percentage of people that uh, you know have received a vaccination uh, is certainly very important. It's a, it's a question that you know I, I know I ask our team in regard to flu, uh, well baby shots. Uh, these are all things that you know the legislature needs to know, and, and the governor needs to know, and the people of Ohio need to know because they affect the health of all of us. So. I'll get back to you on that, but certainly um, more information is, is better. Next question is from John London at WLWT in Cincinnati. Hey, John. Governor, hi, hi, Governor. I've tried to listen to you really carefully here today. I've heard you say this is the worst situation Ohio's been in 
you said red tide flowing across the state. No county's gone purple, uh, Governor. And despite the dramatic higher numbers and the positivity, no changes have been made in the rules or the guidelines. And I'm wondering what you're prepared to do if the numbers keep going up. What would be at risk and what's your trigger point? Are we close to that now? You know, John, um, there's a limit to what a governor could do or should do. Um, and we're at the point where we have to live with this virus. Um, the consequences of going in and shutting things down again uh, would be devastating, not just financially, but devastating to people uh, in their individual lives. Uh, so we do not want to be in a position to do that. But let me make it really clear. This is not a situation where we don't know what to do. This is not a situation where we don't know what works. Thank heavens we know what works. And we've learned it the hard way. We've learned it in agonizing seven and a half months. But there is now a real, real consensus among health experts, the medical community, the world over about the things that we can do that can keep this virus down. And they lie within each and every one of Ohio's citizens. Each and every one of us has the power to change the future. When you look at the data today, the future that that paints is ugly. It is not good. Um, it will be a tough, very tough, tough November, December, January, maybe February, who knows how long. We can avoid most of this pain. We can avoid losing a lot more people than we should be losing. But we've got to do the basic things. Um, we've got to wear a mask in public. We've got to keep a distance. We've got to not go to events that look, look like fun, but where you're going to have family or friends there, um, at least that are big gatherings. Uh, and if you can keep gatherings outside, um, I know it's getting colder, but if you can keep some things outside, uh, but at the very, you know, wear a mask. This mask, if both people are wearing masks, the data, the more data I see, the better, the better this, this looks. Um, and so we all have within ourselves the power uh, to live with this, which is really what we have to do. So I'm, you know, I hope that the data we showed today um, will kind of be a wake-up call uh, to every Ohioan uh, that this is real. It's real in your county, um, and, but we have it within our capacity to change the outcome. We can change the future. Unlike the weather, we can't change the weather. We can sure change. We get a forecast. We've got a bad forecast today, but we can change the outcome. We just got to do it. Next question is from a man and Allen at WEWS in Cleveland. 
Hey, Governor. So you keep talking about spread coming from weddings and funerals. Um, and I know just a couple of questions ago and the question you just answered from John, you talked about not shutting, shutting anything else down. But can we expect some sort of order banning gatherings soon? Well, we already got an order on, uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a 10 person limit. Uh, you know, we made the exception for weddings, funerals, religious services, the services themselves, but not the party afterwards. So there's an order on now um, that tells people that we need you need to limit this. So, you know, there's some exceptions. But again, you know, it's like we talked about two days ago on Tuesday. Uh, you know, a lot of this is gatherings of people. You know, we don't have the ability to go into people's homes. We don't want to go into people's homes. Um, and it's the same way of weddings. Um, you know, these are what we hope is that people look at this and say, look, you, you know, and make personal decisions and accommodate everyone's health. You know, is it worth it to have a large wedding where there's no social distancing? Can't you have a wedding? People have masks on, keep some distance, still have the wedding, still have the same people there. I mean, there's ways of doing all of these things. You know, I'm not out here telling people to, to you know, to change what they, they do other than figuring out how to do it safer. And Ohioans are, you know, have great ingenuity. Um, you know, they, they can figure out how to do about anything. And, and we know if we keep in mind the four or five basic principles of how we slow this spread down, we can do about anything that we want to do as long as we do it carefully and within the confines of what good public health is. Next question is from James Pilcher at WKRC in Cincinnati. Good afternoon, Governor. Um, this fall when you opened up sports, you said everybody needs to be held accountable. But we've learned that almost half the schools observed by OHSAA are not following your mandates. Yet there's been no consequences for that noncompliance. So who holds these schools accountable? Is it your office? Is it OHSAA? And how do they do it? And as a follow-up on the nursing home question that was asked earlier, how do you feel like the new center program where the, the each county has a center for COVID patients is working and do you feel like families are being notified well enough uh, that COVID patients are coming into those centers. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you hearing that they're not being notified? Um, we've heard from a few that they're not, but then I talked to uh, a couple of administrators who said they are putting out one call. So there is some, there is some complaining about it, but I'm trying to nail down. Okay. Um, well, go ahead. Let me give you a rain check on that until Tuesday and I'll have an opportunity to reach out. Uh, and find out what our team knows about that. I'll find out what Director McElroy and others know about that. Uh, uh, as far as the Ohio High School Athletic Association, John, do you know anything about uh, any reports back from them? Um, you know, James was talking about uh, a, a significant number. I think you need number that were not in compliance and that there were problems. Yeah, um, I don't have the latest report from from them, but here was we had long discussions with the Ohio high school athletic association about what the standards were for return to play and what the expectations were for observation and accountability. 
Uh, and that lies with the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Uh, the the tools that they promised they would use were things like disqualifications, forfeitures, uh, suspension of seasons, uh, and particularly now that that uh, many of these events are into playoff season, uh, I would hope. Uh, and look, we we want them to have fun. We want them to have the games, but we we have to make sure that the rules are being followed. And look, it's to the it's in the best interest of the schools that these rules are being followed, because if you don't follow them, you're going to have a spread. You're going to end up with coaches or players who are going to get the virus. You're going to end up with other uh, people around them who will end up quarantined and you'll cost yourself your own season. So we will. But I will, in response to the question, do a follow-up uh, with the Ohio High School Athletic Association, get the latest report, and come back with uh, um, what we learn from those conversations. Next question is from Laura Bischoff at the Dayton Daily News. Hi, Laura. Hey, Governor. Um, so most of my questions were asked by my colleagues, uh, so I'll go with this one. Um, you talk about Thanksgiving is can be done, uh, but done differently. Uh, what do you think your Thanksgiving is going to look like this year? Uh, you know, it's going to be Fran pie and a giant DeWine Zoom meeting or rapid <laughs> tests for everybody who attends or maybe like a DeWine family bubble like the NBA. What's the plan? Yeah, we're not really sure. Fran, you want to answer that? No, Fran's not ready to answer that yet. Um, look, I, I, you know, I'll tell you, you know, we, we did, uh, our daughters did something for uh, our we have th three daughters and, and two of them uh, put on a shower for another daughter. And, um, uh, you know, they did it, did it outside. It was kind of a, a drive through. Um, and, um, you know, everybody seemed to have fun, but people would drive, kind of drive through and, uh, and, you know, that nobody ever got too close to each other. And we were outside and we had, had, uh, everybody had masks on. So you know, some people said they preferred that type of shower in the future. So I don't know whether that will catch on or not, but, uh, it seemed to seem to work very well, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I suspect, and I hope Fran will be cooking and, uh, uh, all the, all the family members are good cooks and, uh, we got a lot of, a lot of good cooks in the family, but, uh, it's going to be different. I mean, you know, we're, we can't, uh, we probably will have some who, uh, you know, live a distance away, may not come. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see, but we're going to have to have it. It's going to have to be spread out and we're going to have to, you know, be very concerned about families intermixing. So we'll let you know when we get the plan. Next question is from Josh Rutenberg at Spectrum News. Hi, Governor. This question is actually for the Lieutenant Governor, John Husted. Um, Lieutenant Governor, you've been at two political events now within the last month, the one in Cleveland with the debate and then the, the Pence event on Monday. Uh, in both circumstances, there was inconsistencies in the, in the people that were social distancing and also wearing masks. Um, I'm just curious because we, we've talked about accountability here. Um, how can you stress accountability for Ohioans in everyday life, but not to the Trump campaign at different events? Well, I can reassure you that uh, I've done my level best to practice what we preach. Uh, I've worn masks, uh, tried to keep my distance from folks. Uh, I know it's a complicated matter right now with political campaigns going on. 
Um, but, you know, I can't, you know, look, the, the political events are allowed to occur under the order. Uh, we have tried to set a good example. Uh, I stood up in front of a hostile crowd and asked them to wear masks, uh, much to my own peril, as they uh, <laughs> didn't think much of my suggestion. But uh, I, um, you know, that's the, the best, the best thing that we can do is to try to act as good examples. Uh, I've tried to do that and, and believe that is consistent with what we've been saying. Next question is from Jake Zuckerman at the Ohio Capitol Journal. Hi, Governor. Caseloads, hospital rolls, death counts, positivity, I mean, all the indicators are moving in the wrong direction. Is there any kind of policy or strategic change underway, or are we just kind of betting it all that people change their habits this late in the game? Well, there, look, there's, 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 well, Dolly is, Dolly is commenting on like what I'm doing, I guess. Anyway, hello, Dolly. Um, there's three things really going on, I, I think. Uh, one is, is certainly beyond um, our control, and that is what the companies are doing uh, in regard to uh, coming up uh, with the vaccine. Uh, that's coming. Two is what people do. It's the most important thing because the, the most barring having the medical solution, uh, the shot, um, you know, it comes back to what we all do. We know what works. We know masks work. Uh, and literally, if 80% of the people in this state would wear masks and be careful, we'd knock these numbers down dramatically. The other thing is, you know, incumbent upon us uh, and local health departments and mayors and everyone else, but, but I take the lead, uh, and that is to get testing out and get testing and make it available throughout the state and have it done in a strategic way that accomplishes two things. Uh, one is those tests have to be deployed and are being deployed to save lives directly. So the most vulnerable population are nursing homes, for example. Uh, and the other, you know, is to you know, slow community spread, make sure that we're hitting uh, underserved populations. National Guard is, is helping us do that. Um, but a lot is going on in regard to testing right now as we deploy new tests and we continue to look at other ways to get more testing. So that's on us. Um, things are going okay. Uh, we just need to keep kicking it up and kicking it up. Next question is from Jack Windsor at WMFD in Mansfield. Hey, Jack. Hi, Governor. You reviewed the advisory system and pointed out there are a few indicators that are flagged in many of the red counties. Of those, uh, two can be triggered by non-COVID illnesses, outpatient visits and emergency department visits. And three of them are tied to tests. Now, those new tests you mentioned we're getting and using the FDA guidance says they pick up bacterial infection, viral fragments that are old and not contagious, and even non-COVID viruses. And the FDA warns that a positive test needs to be considered other factors. Five of the seven indicators, Governor, on the system are wobbly. So how do we know we're not getting red indicators and high incidence warnings based on 
non-COVID illnesses and positive tests that are either false or lack additional uh, consideration. Jack, no system is perfect, um, and this is not perfect, uh, you know, but this was put together uh, with advice from national experts, from people in the Trump administration, um, to come up with a way to measure um, using a number of different indicators, so you weren't just relying on one, uh, to tell the people in the community exactly where they are. Um, we think this system works works very well. Um, you know, we also tell people to look at the number of cases in that community. Uh, that's very, very important. As you heard one of the doctors talk about from their perspective, uh, very understandably, um, it's the number of, of, of people going into the hospital. Um, and so, you know, by all indications, we're headed the wrong direction. If you look at just the people going into the hospital, which is a lagging indicator, death would be the last lagging indicator, farthest lagging, but going into hospital is pretty far along. I mean, you've already, you've been exposed and then you've, you, you know, you've come up with symptoms usually and then you're tested and then maybe you get really sick. And you, anyway, you end up in the hospital. So the, the number of, of COVID patients in the hospital today is about double what it was not too long ago. So we're not, no one's saying we're overflowing with patients, but that's, a, that's an indicator that, you know, is a solid, solid, solid indicator. We think the other ones are solid too, but you just count the number of people in the hospital from, from, from COVID. Uh, we use the other indicators, frankly, because that's a lagging indicator. We need to, we need to see what's early on going on so at least we can you know, give, give the community some indication of which way, which way they're going. And so every indicator is going the wrong way on us right now. Next question is from Laura Hancock at cleveland.com. Hello, Governor. Hey, Laura. Hi. Um, poll workers have been told, this was like in August, that they um, cannot ask people to wear masks at polling places. It was a directive from Secretary Frank LaRose. Um, now there's a surge and people are early voting. Um, if there's a statewide mask mandate, why can't we make people wear masks at the polls? Yeah, I think my understanding, I've talked to the Secretary of State, uh, Frank LaRose, about this, is that People are told to wear a mask um, when, they're, when they're voting. They're told to wear a mask in line. They're waiting in line. Um, all the people working there are wearing masks. Uh, but I think when asked the question, would you deny someone the right to vote who would not wear a mask, his answer was, no, we would not de deny them the right to vote. And I think, you know, we get into some other very serious constitutional issues when we if we would say we're going to deny you the right to vote uh if you did not have a mask um so i think that you know everyone's told to wear a mask everyone's expected to wear a mask will there be someone you know or some people who show up and don't wear i suppose uh but that's that's not what we're telling people to do but if you get down to the question are you going to throw that person out and you're going to tell them you cannot vote it's election day, whatever day it is, and you're not going to vote. We're not going to allow you to vote without a mask. 
what the Secretary of State has said, and I, and I, I don't disagree, is we're not going to deny that person the right to vote. But we're asking them, please wear a mask. Governor, if, look, we've got, if I could just, we've got, we've got poll workers who are going to be there 15 hours uh, or so, and 13 of those hours, the polls are open. They're going to be exposed to a lot of, lot of people. And so, you know, it's just not right to walk in there and not have a mask on. John? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, we need to respect each other, uh, protect each other. And I think the process will work is if you come in, you will be offered a mask if you don't have one. Uh, if at that point uh, you don't want to wear a mask, then I think they'll encourage you to vote curbside because there is a curbside option for voting so that you don't have to be in the facility without a mask. Uh, and at that point, after the poll workers exhaust all of their options uh, for trying to get somebody to cast a vote in a, in a safer manner, uh, then they would just allow the person to vote um, because you can't deny them that opportunity. Uh, and, and that's the procedure that will be followed. Next question is from Dan Perlman at WCMH in Columbus. Hi, Governor. Earlier today, you said that there are several red counties that have formal events planned, such as pub crawls, political events, art fairs, car shows, and now is the time to rethink whether those should go on. Focusing on political events, would you urge political candidates from both parties to refrain from holding these events here in Ohio? And would you attend a rally or events given the situation that we are in right now? Well, our message is, uh, is consistent. Uh, what we've said, whether we're talking about political rally, a demonstration, uh, you know, any, anything like that, uh, as far as exercising the First Amendment rights. And, and that is, please everyone wear a mask. We've asked organizers to, you know, make sure people have the opportunity to wear a mask, they're encouraged to wear a mask, should wear a mask. Um, and so I would hope that, um, you know, I wouldn't say that there shouldn't, uh, Joe Biden shouldn't come into Ohio or the president shouldn't come or the vice presidential candidate shouldn't come. I would never say that. Uh, what I should would say, though, and I am saying, is that, look, we need to be careful. Uh, and we need to keep have events where people can keep a distance. We need to try to do them outside. And we need to, you know, have strict adherence to wearing a mask. Uh, I mean, that's what we have told every, every group. Um, and sometimes, you know, people listen more than they, they do other times. But, um, you know, that's the message. It's pretty simple. Uh, you can have these rallies. You can have, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to do these things, which is part of, um, you know, the month of October and early, early, early November as this, these campaigns wind down. Uh, you know, this is what we expect to see, particularly if we live in Ohio, because Ohio is always a battleground state. So I'm not saying this shouldn't occur, but there's ways of doing it. And um, we would just encourage everybody to do it in a, in a safe, a safe way. Next question is from Alex Ebert at Bloomberg. Hey, Governor, sorry for the delay there. Um, we've heard some trepidation, it seems, between the medical experts that we've had on today and yourself saying that we're not at the point where we should be concerned about 
hospitals being overflowing, but it also seems like we're not ruling that out in the future. What are the medical experts telling you about the chances for that happening in the future if these statistics don't go in a better direction for Ohio? Thank you. Well, I don't know that I've asked that specific question, um, but there's grave concern uh, with these with these numbers. Uh, several of the doctors were quoting the paper, and you can see by the quotes that they have very significant significant concerns. Um, we prepared well uh, in the spring um, for a surge that, because of what Ohioans did, we didn't get. Thank heavens, unlike other states. Uh, but these numbers are terrible. Uh, I mean, this is alarming, and they've come up very quickly, very quickly. And it's not just one alarm going off. This is every alarm going off right now. So we have the ability to turn this thing around. Um, and it's pretty simple what we need to do. We need to wear masks. We need to be careful. Uh, we need to protect each other. And we can, we can do that. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we had a build out of hospitals uh, that we didn't need. Uh, everybody's still got their plan. Everybody's still ready to go if they have to go. But, uh, you know, we certainly hope we don't, we don't need that. But I know there's, there's grave concern with doctors. There's a very serious concern uh, with people in the medical community I, I have talked about. And look, there's a lot of ways of measuring this. Um, you know, the worst case scenario uh, is that we overflow uh, our hospitals and people can't get other care. Somebody has a heart attack, can't, they can't find a bed for them. Uh, and that we, we, we're making tough decisions about who gets, you know, uh, how we're treating people. So we're not treating them as well as we might be able to. But there's other scenarios, too, that are less dire, that are still bad. Uh, and that is, you know, we get a, a lot of people, a lot more people who die. I mean, my goal, and I think it should be the goal of every Ohioan, man, let's get through this. Let's get through it. Let's see the sunshine. Uh, let's see other uh, opening day baseball games, and let's have the opportunity to go to weddings and 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 uh, baptisms and and enjoy our family. I mean, you know, if we're not here, we can't enjoy that. And so, uh, we got a lot of lives at stake. Uh, you know, it's not just whether or not the the uh, hospitals are overflowing or not. That's important, uh, but there's other things to worry about uh, as well. So let me, uh, let me go to our close. Uh, as we close today, I want to share uh, a picture that we received from a nine-year-old girl named Claire who is from Gahanna. And let me just read it. Uh, wear a mask. Stay six feet apart. Stay healthy, Ohio. We can beat this, Ohio. I love it. Claire's done a great job of capturing what we need to do. Uh, we can, in fact, beat this, Ohio. Uh, we know what to do. Uh, we have done it before. We can do it again. One phrase that Dr. Acton used that became popular is not all heroes wear capes. Not all heroes wear capes. That is true. Everybody in Ohio can be a hero uh, to protect each other if we wear a mask, distance, frequent hand washing, and be careful. To end today, we have the University of Cincinnati marching band playing a piece called Summon the Heroes by American composer John Williams, who wrote it for the 1996 Olympic Games. With or without a cape, you can be a hero.
Wish everybody a good day, and uh, we'll see you back here on Tuesday. Thank you very much.